Episode 35, the Photon Podcast. QSLing, logging, making DX work for you continues coming up. AmateurRadio15.com presents Photon, the other ham radio podcast. Sponsored by Main Trading Company. Find them online at mtcradio.com. Now, here's your host, Hale Nelson, K4CDN. It is episode number 35. I am Kale, K4CDN. Thank you so much for stopping in and spending some time with us here on the Photon Podcast. Yeah, we do this every other week for the new guy or those interested in becoming the new guy in amateur radio, and we're really thankful that you've taken this time to spend with us here as we continue on through our, we didn't plan it this way, it just kind of happened, making DX work. So we've talked about contesting, we've talked about de-expeditioning, we've talked about uh, DXing, and tonight, today, this afternoon, wherever, whenever you are, we're going to chat about all things QSLing and logging. And that's coming up in just a couple of minutes. But first, this portion of the Photon Podcast is brought to you by Kenwood USA's THF6 Alpha 2 meter, 220 and 445-watt tri-band handy talkie with a broad receiver. 400 channels and multiple modes of operating, the THF6 Alpha is a great choice if you're looking for a solid-built and easy-to-use handy talkie for amateur radio. Three of the most popular repeater bands and an HF receiver makes the THF-6 Alpha rise above the competition, and you can get yours now at mtcradio.com, mtcradio.com. All right, so big shout-outs and big love to everybody who's uh, who's joined up on the Facebook fan page, group page, I guess is what it is. It's the Friends of the Photon Podcast group page. Sign up over there. We'd love to have you come join the conversation. There's a lot of conversation going on. And uh, in that conversation, the idea came up, hey, I wonder if we could get an Echo Link node started. And sure enough, the guys at the Baynet Group in the San Francisco Bay Area have let us use, lent us use, I guess you would say, of their Conference Bridge server as well as their IRLP node. So if you have Echo Link on your phone or your computer, or you can access an IRLP uh, link, you can feel free to come in and to conversate. I've been there a few times over the weekend. I know that George was on there. Tim was on there. Andrew, Tim, and I, Andrew from Alaska, Tim from California, and Kel from the Deep South, all had a conversation this past Friday when Kel was trying to figure out what he was going to have for lunch. So it was it was, it was was nice to catch up with those guys and make the, make the connection, okay? I know a lot of you are technicians. You're new guys. You're just coming in. You don't have HF capabilities right now. That's okay. We want to get you there. But until that time, it's a great way to connect with other people who are maybe of the like mind or who enjoy the show and you guys just want to kick some stuff around. It's open. I'm, I'm just asking you you be very polite and cordial when you're utilizing the Baynet server. And a big monster thank you to them for allowing us that. So the show notes will reflect that. Go find, the, find all the information, photonpodcast.com. All right, so, uh, yeah, George and Nick are joining us this evening. George, uh, KJ6 Victor United, and Nick N3WG. George of Sierra Radio Systems and Nick of Pignology, thank you both for joining in here with us as we're going to talk about, actually, we're going to continue our conversation, uh, making DX work as we talk about QSLing. Welcome in, guys. Hey, Kale, nice to hear you. Hi, thank you. 
All right. Thank you guys again for both being here. Uh, you guys may remember uh, Nick from the Pignology Show, and uh, we've had him in a couple of times, matter of fact. And it's always great to uh, to have Nick back on here with us. George is our behind-the-scenes guy, and we're bringing him back in front of the camera, the microphone tonight, this evening, this afternoon, wherever and whenever you're listening to us. Thank you. Uh, we're going to talk about QSLing. Uh, which one of you first wants to define just what is QSLing? Okay, well, I'll go ahead and take that one, Kale. Okay. So, so, so QSLing is verifying a two-way contact. Uh, if you look up the definition for the different uh, Q codes, like uh, QSL, QTH, QRZ, etc., QSL specifically means I'm verifying a two-way contact. And like any uh, Q code, it, it could be a statement or a question. And so the the notion of uh, the Q, the QSL is is some way to verify that we've had a contact. Okay. All right. How does that work, Nick? Since you've done some work with QSL logging type programs uh, for Pignology, tell us a little bit about uh, how QSLing actually works. Well, it usually comes down to, um, at least in my experience, initiative on the part of one of the uh, the people making the contact. Um, and that is where somebody, you know, they have their QSL card, which is usually about the size of a postcard. That has their call sign on the front, and maybe on the back there's some fields where they put in the, the sent and received signal reports, as well as the calling and receiving station uh, call signs there. Uh, maybe QTH and, uh, and preferably some sort of short note just to say, hey, thanks for the contact. It was nice talking to you. Uh, they write this thing um, usually by hand put a postage stamp on it, send it off in the mail, and hopefully the person receiving it um, will return the favor and send them back a QSL card. Um, we'll probably be talking later on about, um, uh, what are the name of those uh, those green things, George? From oh, the international reply coupons. Yeah, well, that topic might come up. That's, uh, that's a little bit before my time, and I found out how old George was today, so I'll let him talk tackle that one. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, uh, you know, Kale's been spending a lot of time on uh, VHF and UHF locally. Uh, not spending a lot of time on HF here of late, uh, just because it, it's just where I'm at, and I'm, I'm having some fun doing some VHF stuff. Uh, but uh, when I was doing uh, HF stuff, H, making HF contacts, I remember my very first HF contact. It was a gentleman in North Carolina uh, running Nivis off the uh, the random wire out here. And he said, you know, make sure you send me a card and I'll send you one back. So I had to get some cards printed, of course. And I did do the transaction there with him and still have his card somewhere here in the shack. Uh, but uh, I know that some, you know, a lot of guys call it wallpaper and it's a big deal. Uh, is it a, is it something that I still need to do that is mailing the card? I know that there are some electronic uh things that we can do to confirm contacts and uh, have electronic QSL cards, but uh, do people still collect paper for lack of a better term? Uh, is that something I need to kind of focus on as a new HF operator? Well, that, that's a really good question. In the in kind of the old days, when I, when I got my license back in the 70s, in that era, obviously, it's like way before the PC. So when you wanted to uh, have a, the trophy, if you will, of that contact was the QSL card. And today, of course, things are really different. You don't really need to have a paper QSL card. So there's really, in my mind, two reasons why you QSL. One reason is that as a casual operator, you make a contact with 
a station and you want that uh, proof or that trophy of making that contact. And for some people, that's going to be some real exotic uh, DX station. You know, I only want a QSL card if it's from South Africa. Whereas somebody else might say, hey, I, you know, I'm, I'm just a... I'm a nice guy, and I, I like to collect cards from everybody I talk to, and you know whatever makes you happy. Um, so that's kind of from an informal, casual operator. The other reason to do QSLing is because you're trying to score uh, contacts for an award of some kind, and they're the proof of the contact in order to get that award. So if I'm going to go after the DXCC award that uh, Bruce was talking about in the contesting episode, I have to verify that I've talked to a hundred different countries. Well, I can't just submit my log and say, hey, I wrote it down. See, I talked to Botswana. You have to actually have proof, and the, and the proof in the past was a physical card. So in that case, you, you may want it because it's a nice trophy, but you really want it because you want that as the proof of the contact for the award. So there's kind of the casual reason and the, the more formal uh, kind of um, – award pursuit reason to do it but you know these days uh it's largely electronic so people do still print qsl cards and they still do exchange them and some people still do put them up in their shack and it does look really cool but uh, i think more and more people are kind of getting away from that because there's ways to do that verification um electronically much much faster much cheaper although there's something to be said for having that little postcard on the wall that said you worked that that rare DX station. So a good rule of thumb, just in, in Kel's opinion here, would be you're a new you're a new general class licensee, or maybe a new extra class licensee. You've got an HF rig. You're going to be out making HF contacts. Go have you a hundred cards printed. So in case uh, someone rare gets you or you get something rare, you'll have that card to share with someone if they request that of you. Yeah, I would say so. So, I mean, for me, sitting here in California, nobody cares about getting a QSL card from California. <laughs> There's a lot of guys on the air in California, so I, no one's going to be excited to work me. Uh, but if if there's a station in, um, you know, South Africa, um, that'd be awesome. You know, especially if I if I have a modest station. Mm-hmm. You know, what might be easy for a big contest station for me is a challenge. And, you know, maybe working all the provinces of Canada is a big deal for me because I operate HF um, infrequently, and I operate with a modest station. So, actually, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, um, You know, having an N3 call here in California, people are often excited to talk to me, but until they find out I'm in California, then they start getting a little upset with me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because you're in California, or is there some other reason that they're not particularly enthused? I got on. Uh, I got on ten meters one time. I was camping, and I had a little uh, uh, a small radio, it was a little QRP CW type radio, and I put some wire up in the tree and called uh, CQ on ten meters. And some guy <laughs> came back really quick. You know, I was really excited to hear the N three on uh, on ten meter QRP, and uh, it turned out the guy was about twenty miles away in Fremont. <laughs> and I, I ended up telling him where I was, and he was. I didn't do the stroke six when I was uh, calling CQ, so he was. <laughs> I I couldn't really hear his frustration, but uh, did, he he signed rather quickly. Did you send him a QSL card? I'm just kidding. I'm just yeah. kidding. All right, so uh, <laughs> we, hey, uh, I wanted to touch yeah. on one thing though. Um, when George talked about uh, electronic QSLing and 
using QSL cards towards awards. Um, uh, either of you, please correct me if I'm wrong, but you can't use all of the electronic QSL methods for credit towards an award like worked all states. Um, I believe ARL's log of the world is valid because it's um, cryptographically signed, the, the logs that you generate, uh, as coming from you. Um, but something like eqsl.cc, I don't believe those are valid for awards. You guys hear that? Yeah. So we, we and we should talk about what each one of those are. And there's a lot of them out there. And and you should you bother and all that. And and you're correct. That depending on the award, the award organizer can decide what form they'll accept the QSL in. If it's paper or electronic, and if it's electronic, which system or systems uh, will they use? So that's up to whoever's running that that contest or that that awards committee well let's talk about that for a second because i know that 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 uh, the guys around here that work a lot of dx are all on logbook of the world and uh it's taken it's taken a couple of years uh with uh k4xp keith uh sharing someone's computer from his shack to help him get it get i guess it's just hard to get signed up man i don't know but logbook of the world i i have uh, a eqsl account i haven't been there in years but i do have one i'm not a member of logbook of the world uh tell me a little bit about what you guys know about uh, say logbook of the world and then maybe eqsl and if there's any others out there that we need to know about so there are definitely more of them out there, but like with a lot of online systems, over time some emerge as the most popular uh, services. And uh, probably the two most widely used are Logbook of the World and, and EQSL, although there are a handful of others. So Logbook of the World is sponsored and developed uh, by the American Radio Relay League. So whether you like it or not, or think it's great or not, um, it's the league's uh, logbook system, and uh, probably the most widely used one out there. So if you're only signing up for one, you probably should sign up with Logbook of the World. It doesn't cost you anything. Um, So I would definitely do that. The sign-up procedure is really a pain, and I just went through this uh, with both EQSL and Logbook of the World, and uh, it's a multi-step process. It's really more of a pain than it should be, but you know you kind of get through it and you're ready to go. And the reason it's such a pain is what Nick was talking about. It's the security. Uh, they want to make sure that when you submit your log, that that's really you and you really did make those contacts. Um, EQSL is uh, also very popular. It's easier to use, as it turns out, uh, to sign up and get rolling. And in the... Um, the handful of contacts that I've made on HF since I signed up for both, um, everybody either um, logs that, that I've talked to logs all of their contacts to one or the other, or in many cases, both. So you can push your contacts to both databases, uh, or as many as you want, for that matter. But most of the logging programs, and we'll get into the different ones in a bit, uh, any good logging program will support both uh, Logbook of the World and EQSL. Um, the And the essential idea is simply this. There's a database that has a record that you upload of a contact that you make. So just like Nick was describing, a physical QSL card has got call sign, uh, date, you know, your call sign, the other call sign, uh, date, um, frequency, time, mode of operation, that sort of thing. When I upload my log to the database, 
and the other station uploads their log to the database, a match is made. And if if I have an entry that matches your entry, that's that entry is verified, and that counts for whatever uh, I'm trying to submit for in terms of awards. That's the basic idea. Right. And of course, there's different features of the different systems and whatever, but but that's the essence of it. Nick, do you use anything, uh, or do you use Logbook of the World EQSL for your your contacts? I was taught if you don't have anything nice to say, then don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm coming at it from a different angle, and that is being a developer that has to support something like Logbook of the World or EQSL.cc. Okay. Um, I don't use Logbook of the World personally. I am signed up. I went through the process. They mailed me my code, and I went and tried to sign up. And the reason I did the sign-up was to develop software to import in, into Logbook of the World. And I still don't have it working. The um, If anybody from ARL developer side of the house is listening to this, I'd really like to talk to you guys about uh, documentation for Logbook of the World. And that's all I'm going to say about it. But uh, I don't use Logbook of the World um, simply because of that, that frustration I went through of trying to develop against it. EQSL.cc, um, back in 2000-ish, I started using it. It's been around for quite a long time, and uh, I started using it. And it, they make it really easy to to go in there and just you know say yes, I did work this. No, I didn't. It goes into like an inbox. You approve it or deny it, and um, and it, it works well. I um, I don't use it any longer other than just to test against it. They made it really easy for developers to to upload logs from software, so I I do support that. Um, so to answer your question directly <clears throat> after several minutes, no, I don't use Logbook of the World or EQSL.cc um, all the time. Okay. okay. I do so, log in there and check them, and I will approve them, um, provided I have that matching log in my in my list of contacts. So I, I would add, um, Kale, I would add to that. If, if I was not involved with any of these and I was just starting out, uh, the advice I would give to somebody is you should sign up for both of those. Um, the, like I said before, the, even as a user, let alone as a developer, the the sign-up procedure with Logbook of the World is a pain, and getting your logging program configured to talk to it is a bit of a pain. Uh, but that's where um, a, a large number of people are going to be. And so if you want to exchange electronic QSLs, you have to do it. Um, EQSL, I think, for sure, would be my number two pick. Uh, beyond that, uh, I think there's a bunch of other ones, but but I think you're pretty well covered with those two. Well, I uh, I'm logging into EQSL as we speak just to see what see what I've missed since I've been there, and it's been a while. Um, I got a question because it's kind of going back to the cards thing. Um, you know, the rare contacts, rare DX, where Bruce has shared so eloquently on the, both of those things. And and Marty with his explanation on being on the other side of the rare DX, um, when we make those contacts, I mean, if, if they're a D expedition and you ask for a card, I guess that or, or the contact to, to confirm the contact, they're going to do that for you. But uh, you know, if you've got somebody in a foreign country that you're trying to uh, to get to put on the wall, are, are there any ways to kind of maximize uh, making sure that you can can confirm? 
that contact with the person? Is it a card with a spare American $20 bill or something? What's, what's a good way to kind of maximize the return on those rare contacts we may make? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, and the answer, you're, you're actually, you're on the right track. Because um, you think about, especially for a DX station, there's a lot of stations that want to work them. And for them to take the time to send you a card is not a big deal. But if they work 100 stations uh, this week, that's 100 cards. That's a lot of, you know, how'd you like to fill out 100 postcards? It's, you know, it's a big pain. So if you want a physical card, uh, you have to do something to up the odds that you're going to get it. Um, now, of course, this gets expensive. The old-fashioned way this was done was through uh, what's called a QSL bureau. And every country had a bureau. In fact, in some countries, they have bureaus by call area. And what you would do is is um, you would send an envelope, a big envelope, to the bureau uh, with your call sign on it and a couple of bucks and the envelope would sit there, and over time, QSL cards would not be sent to you. They would be sent to the Bureau. And the Bureau was basically like a, a private post office. And the, p- the volunteers at the Bureau would take incoming QSL cards and toss them into your envelope until you had a bunch. And then eventually, they would send you the big envelope that you would put your own stamps on to begin with. Mm. So it didn't cost the Bureau anything. Um, and the way that the QSLs went between bureaus is in a bulk shipment. So let's say a bunch of cards from Japan would get shipped over to the California W6 QSL Bureau as, in a batch, and then someone would sort them out. Um, talk about dedication. <laughs> it's like, who, who wants to do that? Um, so that was kind of the low-cost way of QSLing. If you wanted to get it faster, because these, you, know, you wouldn't get your envelope back for three, four, five, six months. Wow. Um, so, so the the more expensive way to get it is you would send an a, a an envelope to the station that you worked, and you would put in a self addressed stamped envelope. So all they had to do is fill out the card, drop it in the envelope, and drop it in the post office. Now, the problem with that, of course, is let's say you work a station in Italy. If you send them a envelope with a U.S. stamp on it, they can't mail that. And what are the odds that you're going to have stamps for the other countries? And it's a pain. So the way people got around that was they would uh, either put in cash, like a dollar or a couple of dollars, or you'd put in what Nick talked about before, these IRCs, International Reply Coupon. And an IRC is like a voucher for a certain amount of money in the local currency. So you could put in, uh, let's say, one or two IRCs worth like a dollar or whatever it was at the time. And they would then be able to take that IRC and go exchange it for postage. Um, or if you sent them, you know, U.S. dollars are pretty universal trading <laughs> of currency. Mm-hmm. So everybody appreciates U.S. dollars. And so a lot of times you'll hear someone say, uh, put in two green stamps. Uh, that's slang for put in two dollar, $1 bills ah. uh, to cover the postage. And, you know, if if you worked 10 DX stations – it's probably worth a couple of bucks to have a good shot of getting the QSL card back. Hmm. So it, it, hey, George, I have a question for you. And I'm going to ask this as if I don't know the answer to it. Because I had this question when I was uh, newly licensed, and I didn't get it answered for about 10 years because I was afraid to ask the question. So let me ask you. Let's say you're working field day, and you work a station that um, 
is of interest to you, you'd like to get a QSL card from them, would you consider a contact made during a contest valid for exchanging a QSL card? Uh, absolutely, except that you're making the contact under the call sign of whatever your operating field day. So if if you're operating field day from home and using your call sign and you work a station you want a QSL, absolutely, that's a totally legitimate contact. And they should QSL as much as they would any other random uh, QSO. If you're operating under the club station, not yours, then that QSL really should go to the club station, not your personal station. Okay, thanks. Is that when you say, hey, while I've got you, can you also answer me at this call sign? Yes, <laughs> That's, that has happened. That's what sure. Nick wanted to say, but he didn't want to go there, so I'll go yeah. there. Yeah, that's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Well, the, hey, now, what's, the, what's this QSL via thing that I've heard about? Well, usually you'll say QSL via the Bureau or QSL via um, another station. So sometimes, like in a big uh, de-expedition, Again, this is kind of the old-fashioned way before the electronic uh, QSLing. Uh, if if we did a, ne- a de-expedition to the uh, you know the XYZ islands in the Pacific, uh, we might have a friend of ours be the QSL manager for us. And what we would say is, uh, here we are in uh, you know Wonga Wonga Island, and we're operating XYZ one two three call sign QSL via W six ABC. What that means is that when I work you, you don't send a QSL card to Wonga Wonga Island. You send your QSL card to W6ABC, and he's going to manage the response to everybody somehow. So that's a that's a, a essentially like a private QSL bureau. Okay. Does that uh, would you do that? So someone could start handling the QSL cards while you're working your way back home from the de-expedition. That's right. It's a way to it's a way to kind of spread the pain. And you know, again, why would anybody volunteer to do that? <laughs> I don't know, because you know they might get five thousand cards or ten thousand cards, and uh, that's a pretty unenviable task to have to yeah, respond. So, yeah, I wonder, you know? wonder two's more than I want to mail. Are you kidding? So in the old days, of course, you would hand write the QSL card. Then when computers became uh, common, you would log on the computer and then you would print out the QSL information on stickers and slap that on the card and throw that in the mail so you didn't actually fill it out by hand. Um, and now all that QSO data goes into the, the, the eQSL or whatever database and the match is made electronically. So that really takes a lot of that out of there. Having said that, by the way, um, I might get credit for the contact in logbook of the world but i might still want a paper qsl card to put on my wall and a lot of stations uh dx stations will still do a paper qsl card because it's it's that trophy it's not just the credit it's having the thing i can proudly stick up on my wall um for for a lot of de-expeditions you, you talked about kale how to how to get them to respond and for a normal station you know you throw in a couple bucks to cover postage um, I know a lot of DXers who will throw in more than a couple of bucks. And, you know, when I first heard that, I thought, well, that's kind of like you're buying your your QSL card. You're not – I mean, there was a contact, so it's legit. But the more I thought about it, I thought, well, maybe that's not unreasonable because these guys put out so much money to run these de-expeditions. You know, if you work a rare station and you needed that for DXCC and you send them 20 bucks or, 
I know some guys who send, you know, 50 bucks or more um, as a thank you. Well, you know, if you can afford it, that's great. It's, you certainly don't need to. I never did that. Um, but some people do for a real rare station. Well, I mean, we know that it's no small expense to go to a deserted island and live for two weeks to make radio contacts or, or rewire a guy's house like Marty was talking about last That's right. Time. You know, That's so, right. yeah, I could see that. I could see that. All right, so uh, before we go to break here, we need to cover anything else regarding doing QSL. Did we miss anything? Nick, George, what do you say? I think that, I think that covers most of it. I guess the only other thing I'd throw out there, Kale, you said, you know, maybe I'd go out and print 100 QSL cards and all that. The first thing I would do is I would I would sign up on the uh, LOTW or EQSL, and then you know if I felt like it, I might print up some cards. I personally, the last time I printed QSL cards was about 20 years ago, and I don't think I've sent out a QSL card in in about as much time. So, um, you know, some people really love to do it, and some people, you know, like personally, it's it's you know I have QSL cards from when I was a novice, but you know that's not. That doesn't interest me at this point. So, you know, it's it's not a must-do at this point. Right. Nick, go ahead. Uh, I, one thing I want to touch on with respect to um, electronic logging is um, something called ADIF, A-D-I-F. And uh, that is Amateur Data Interchange Format. It's, a, it's kind of a, a common way to describe a contact in amateur radio. And it's a, it's a plain text format in that you can have a logbook and export or import ADIF files, if you will, that uh, all of the common logbook software as well as all of the online systems are going to support. Um, so it's something to be aware of. If you're going to do logbook of the world or EQSL, they're going to expect an ADIF file. Um, so look for the you know file export ADIF option in whichever software you choose um, and that's how you'll be moving these contacts around ADIF. now when you're when you're using these logging programs so we'll talk about that in a bit uh, they'll upload the data to the servers you don't really have to do that import export do you I don't know about logbook of the world for eqsl.cc the way I do it in software is I generate the ADIF in the background and push it to EQSL so the user never sees it. Um, for something like QRZ, QRZ.com, they don't have an API available for a developer to talk to, so you would have to take the ADIF file and upload it yourself. So most of them will give you the option to pull the file out manually. All right, uh, we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Uh, we've got Nick in 3WG of Pignology and George KJ6 Victor United from CR Radio Systems. We're talking QSLing, going to logging next. Stay tuned. Main Trading Company in Paris, Texas is still one of the small town stores. Give us a call, you'll get a real person on the phone. Richard, myself, Christine, Tammy, or Danielle. We're there to help you find the gear you're looking for. We carry brands like Icom, Kenwood, products from Roan Tower, Heil, LDG, Alinko, Jetstream, Radio Waves, MFJ. The list goes on and on. 903-737-0773. And on the web at mtcradio.com. This portion of the Photon Podcast is brought to you by the ICOM IC7100 HF plus 6 meters, 2 meters, and 440 transceiver. 
The IC7100 features an industry-first intuitive touchscreen. Up to 100 watts out on all the bands makes operating fun and easy. The factory DSP enhances your experience, and D-Star voice and data can take you around the world even when the bands are not cooperating. You can find the ICOM IC7100 at mtcradio.com today as I'm post-producing the program. Dirt Racer 49 post on ARFCOM. What are you guys using for software for logging your contacts? And do you log this and that and the other? Well, of course, a great conversation ensued. And I just posted the next the next episode of the Photon Podcast. We're going to cover this subject, and that's what we're going to do right now. So Dirt Racer 49, this one's for you. Back with George and Nick. We're going to talk about some logging now as we continue our discussion about making DX work. We talked about QSLing. That's where you send a confirmation and receive a confirmation of the call that you just completed. And yeah, this is HF stuff. So if you're just a new tech, we want to encourage you to go out and get your general, maybe up, even upgrade to your extra class license. Don't expect me to do that anytime soon as long as you require these bi-weekly programs from me. So until then, I'll be the general, you get the extra, and I'll just talk on this end of the podcast. Again, thanks for listening, by the way. And again, thank you, Nick, and thank you, George, for being here with us on episode, I think this is 35. Sure. Let's, uh, let's, uh, let's talk about logging. Why do I want to log? Uh, and, and that's a real question, guys, because I'm terrible. I mean, I really hate to admit this, but I'm just going to be real, as transparent as I always am here on the program. Uh, I have four or five different yellow pads scattered between the house and the shack. That's about 75 yards separated. And uh, they've got all my HF contacts on them, little pieces of paper, things I found in the truck while HF mobile. Um, I don't really do a good job with this, and this is where I could really use some help. Why is it important to log? That's a that's a good question. And you know, in the old days, you had to have a log, so there were requirements for for logging all your contacts, and that that loosened up several years ago to the point that you didn't have to maintain a paper log uh, anymore, and it was really more. For your own pleasure, uh, again, you kind of like your own sense of accomplishment. If I worked a DX station, I want to write it down, and you know, when did I work and who did I talk to, and and keep track of of that, whether it's for for for, for um, awards or just your own uh, sense of accomplishment. Um, a, a lot of people like to log all their uh, contacts. Personally, I don't log. Um, I never log anything that's uh, not HF. The only logging I ever do is HF, and usually that's only stations that are uh, memorable. Uh, in, if I worked a DX station, I'll log that just for my own uh, uh, fun. But if I have a casual conversation with another station in California on 40-meter sideband, I don't bother to log that. There's really no no need to do that. I got you. Well, you know, like I said, I, I've done a horrible job at it, and um, it, I'm sure it would be a very good practice for me to to participate in when I take the time to get on HF and make contacts. Um, George, you just said that, you know, if it's not just really an awesome contact, no offense to anyone that's ever had a contact with KJ6 Victory United. Uh, uh, but uh, what about you, Nick? Do you log when you're, when you're out uh, doing your QRP stuff? I know you really enjoy that, that end of, that end of the hobby. Uh, do you, do you do a log or what do you do? Yeah, I, um, I wouldn't say I'm good at logging, though. So when I first got uh, HF privileges, I think it was 2000, 
one, I got general. Um, I I got into Excel and I made myself a a log, right? And uh, I'm talking spreadsheet, Microsoft Excel. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I all I did was I made the the format of a log and then I printed it and put it into a three ring binder. I was very proud of it and uh, and I used it quite a bit for about three years. I just kept filling up pages and this was all um, all QRP stuff out in Virginia. And uh, so I had several pages and then I moved to California, went off the air for several years. And when I finally moved up to Northern California is when I got back on the air. And I sort of uh, lost that initiative to, to log <laughs> consistently. Um, I do keep a record of those contacts whenever I do go out and do the, the QRP to the field type um, events. And uh, But what I'll do is um, that ADIF format that I mentioned earlier, I'll actually take that ADIF and email it to myself. <laughs> so I have a whole bunch of emails with these ADIF files and... Uh, if ever someday I want to <laughs> bring all those together, then I could. But uh, I wouldn't say I have one consistent place I could go to look up a log from, you know, 2008 or right. So we've got paper, we've got electronic, um, and, and those are going to be two of the, the primaries. I mean, in the shack, I use a yellow pad in the truck. I've got some 3x5 index cards that are just a mess. But uh, I, I guess those are would be the... I don't want to say the only ways you could log. I mean, you could tattoo it on your forearm if you chose, but I mean, paper and electronic would be the be the primary ways, I'd imagine. Well, yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's always really been paper uh, up until uh, the time that you started to see PCs coming about, and obviously the first programs for, for hams were logging. It seems like an obvious fit. But uh, yeah, that's pretty much the way it's done, and, and a lot of us have logbooks from the ARRL uh, that are spiral-bound logbooks that look just like the spreadsheet, Nick, I bet you built, uh, probably look just like that. Yep. Wow. Yeah, I'm I'm not quite that old, George, but uh, that's okay. I did not use a quill um, (laughs) on the logs, but nor a candlelight, let me just be clear. Okay, okay. He didn't chop the cherry tree. Okay, so uh, let's talk about some logging programs because, I mean, you just said that uh, ARRL, and I think they still manufacture that uh, spiral-bound logbook. For some reason, I'm thinking that I may have seen it somewhere. Maybe it was an old one, but I, but I've seen what you're talking about. Uh, but but electronically, there, oh, my goodness, there are a plethora of logging programs. Uh, which, which way do I go? I mean, uh, will it work with... Uh, HRD, LOTW, EQSL. Uh, this is where I think uh, most people scratch their head uh, trying to decide which logging program to work. And I know that, Nick, as a developer, you have worked a lot with logging programs. So what can you tell us about some of the different things, even some of the programs you've created yourself regarding logging? I would say that um, if to answer the question which way to go, you're probably going to try most of them mm-hmm. and settle on one if you're going to stick with electronic logging. Um, and the one that you settle on is probably going to be the one that is as fast, if not faster, than paper logging. And paper logging can be really, really fast. Um, I mean, even even more so than using software if you're not familiar with the software. Um, but you want to get to the point where it's as simple as you know, type a call sign maybe signal report, 
and hit enter. You know, you want to find that software that's going to pre-populate fields for you. It's going to remember who you are. Um, it's going to allow you to um, maybe manipulate your station. Um, having software that can read the frequency and mode from your radio is really helpful. And across the various operating systems out there, whether it's Windows, Mac, or Linux, there's options to accomplish all those things, including rig control, um, on all of those operating systems. So you're going to find a lot of options out there, and it's really going to come down to which one do you like the most. Um, a lot of them are very ugly and uh, written a long time ago, but uh, but they do work, and they have cult-like followings. I'm not going to call out any names of the ugly ones, but uh, <laughs> there's also pretty ones out there. Um, I could probably rattle off some of the more popular ones if you're interested in hearing some of those names. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, you know, we're looking at, uh, I mean, I know that there are a lot of differences, and, and some are catered to, say, QRP ops, and some are catered, catered to contesting or, uh, you know, uh, just like me, who's going to sit up here in the barn and make a couple of contacts and make it easy on myself to get it logged in. Uh, I, I know that they all you know, basically do the same thing. They give you a place to keep up with your contacts. But uh, what about the differences between the ones for general purpose guys, contesting or QRP portable ops? I mean, uh, what what would be the differences in there? So I think that that's like the big question is, what do you want uh, to get the program for? Are you a casual operator that's just logging, in which case any of these programs will do the task? And it's really down to personal preference of what, um, like Nick was saying, with different user interfaces, a lot of these programs, and, and I've kind of gone through recently looking at a number of them to try to pick one. Um, uh, for, I was sort of redoing the shack, and I want to, you know, kind of from the ground up, what do I want to use? And a lot of these programs look like they were written 15 years ago, and they have a bazillion features, but they're really pretty antiquated as far as the user interface goes. Um, but to a lot of people, they don't care. However, if you're like a contester, um, then all of a sudden it makes a big difference because the contesting log software um, has to be tuned to be set up for a contest. So, for example, if in, in a contest, if the ex- like Bruce was talking about this in the contesting episode, in, in a contest there's an exchange, and you have to have the exchange fields in the, in the logging software to put that information in there. Um, and it may not be. So, for instance, if we had a contest where I have to give you your signal report and your section number, your ARL section, like in field day, and your class of operation, like on field day, in a basic log, there's no field for that. Mm. So a, a contesting program will have the fields that are required for that particular contest. So it can get very specialized with these extra fields for certain uses. Um, the other thing you see is is that a lot of these logging programs, as Nick mentioned, go way beyond logging into um, rig control, rotor control, satellite radio control of different radios that do receiving and transmitting and have you know reverse VFO direction for Doppler shifting and all this crazy stuff. So um, the choice of the of the program very much depends on what you want to do with it. For the normal ham who's not concerned about any of that complexity, uh, for the most part, any of these programs will work. And then it's more of a matter of, do you want a free program? Do you want to pay for a program? Is there something you want to grow into? Or 
you know what what excites you i got you okay well let's talk about some of the programs uh of course everyone is familiar with hrd uh, it's been around for quite a while, and uh, just a couple of years ago, it went from uh, uh, you can pay us if you want to 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 a I believe you have to pay us to use it now kind of a thing. Uh, and there's some other ones. So, uh, what do you guys like to use if you're going to use a logging program, or uh, you're familiar with one, or hear some really great things about it? Where can we go to start looking at some of these things? Well, one place you can you can get a big gigantic list of them is you can go to eham. Uh, if you if you go to eham.net and go to the section on um, logging programs, there's like a hundred of them listed. So there's no there's no lack of programs to choose from, and there's reviews for a lot of these programs you can check out there. Um, there's a handful of them that are very very famous. HRD is probably uh, the most well known one. That was um, if I get my history right. Originally, um, I think it was. That Simon, who who developed the original program, um, and Nick, maybe you, you you know this. I think he developed it just for the FT eight seventeen as a rig control program too, uh, in the early days, and and that sort of morphed into a general purpose pro- product or program that was free, like you said, Kale. And then uh, uh, in the last couple of years, um, uh, some folks bought it and turned it into a commercial product, and it's it's probably the most um, maybe it's one of the most widely used general purpose rig control logging um, with a bunch of – it has a whole digital mode thing built in. So you have to pay for it, but it's a, it's a very nice, very comprehensive product. I would say that um, the switch of HRD from being a you know, donation-type wear to uh, you know, commercial was a good thing. Um, it's uh, I think it's ninety nine dollars. Is that right, George? Yeah, it's about hundred bucks. And they uh, they employed I think seven hams out of it, um, all programmers. And um, I remember seeing an email from Rick Rule, who's the uh, basically a, I think he's one of the lead guys who uh, is doing the development as well as uh, led the purchase, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I saw an email from him saying that they had squashed about thirty thousand bugs um, wow. in the time wow. leading up to version six, I believe it was. Um, so they did a lot of fixing in that software, and uh, and from what I can tell, it made it uh, a lot more stable and, and usable, and and you get support with that money as well. So, yeah, the the way that they sell it, uh, it's about a hundred bucks to buy it, and once you buy it, you can use that version uh, forever. Uh, you don't need to buy it again. It's not an annual thing. It's a one-time purchase, and you get support. I believe it's for a year, and then after that year. Then um, you don't get support, which is reasonable. Um, but I'm not sure what their upgrade policy is. I think if when a, when a major release comes out that has a bunch of new functionality, I think you you pay a reduced rate to buy the next version. Uh, does that sound right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, but you don't have to. You can continue to use what you have, right? Oh, yeah. And to, uh, frankly, for most people. If you just take the current version of HRD and you it, you will never use all the features in it, so it's not like it's lacking. So it's a highly capable product. In fact, um, HRD comes with another program. It's all integrated called DM780, which is a digital mode um, program that allows you to run uh, every, pretty much almost every digital mode. So PSK, CW, RTTY, Olivia, uh, Contestia. Olivia. Hill Yeah. 
So all that stuff, and it's a it's a very nice program. Now, I'll, I'll add quickly: if you want the same capability, you can go by you can get FL Digi for free that does just as good a job with all those modes. Mm-hmm. So you can you know there are free versions right. that are excellent excellent software. What are some um, others? Because I know that everybody, I've got a copy somewhere around here of the uh, last free copy of HRD, uh, and, it, and it has the uh, the 780 as well. But what are some others that, that folks may have heard about or may not have heard about that they could look at uh, as well? That well, You just told us we've got a list of 100 to go look at, but what are some of the, maybe the other ones that uh, both of you have had some experience with at least looking at and, and maybe spending some time with? Microsoft Excel. <laughs> Says the iOS guy. <laughs> Do you have a Droid version for that yet, Nick? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. For Excel? Yeah, yeah they got that. <laughs> got an app for that. So, so uh, there, there are some really good um, programs for contesting. And if you really get, if you get into contesting, then uh, you want to look, for example, at N1MM November one Mike Mike, and I've I've met N one MM actually at Dayton, and the the guy is you know just produced a really nice product. I think it's free. Uh, it's definitely geared for contesting. Um, that's a very popular product. Uh, I and like I said, I'm pretty sure it's free. Uh, there's an older one called CT that was I think that was the fellow's call sign. I'm, I've never used it, uh, but that was a big contesting program. But it's I think it's kind of getting um, kind of older. Uh, when I was looking around for a new logging program myself, one of the few programs I found that had a uh, a bit more of a modern user interface that's free, uh, that's new, is called Log4OM. So L-O-G, the number four, then O-M, like old man. And this is written by a th- fellow, I believe, from Italy. And it's free, and it's got a, it's a nice UI, and it's got all the basic features that you would probably want. Um, I played around with it a bit, and, and actually, at first, I was pretty sold on it, um, and then I played around more with HRD, and it's kind of back and forth, and there may be other ones that are just as good or better, but, you know, you can only test so many. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the log for OM, and wow, it's pretty. It is, and that was the thing I was looking for, because I, I don't need complexity. I want something that's easy to use, and, and it caught my eye. I thought they did a very nice job on the UI. Have you uh, have you used that one or seen that one, Nick? Uh, yeah, because I've uh, I've had people email me about um, some ADIF questions regarding log four OM. It's a nice looking nice looking deal. What's uh, yeah. what's going to be the easiest one for dumb old Kale, the dummy load of podcasting here? Uh, what's going to be the easiest one for him to pick up and start using? Excel. <laughs> Dot metric, dot, make, dot metrics printing. I, uh, I got to tell you, I installed HRD wanting to not want wanting to not use it because it is very cluttered and there's there's just a lot of menus. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff and it. You know, I look at it and I'm thinking this is a hobby. I don't really, I don't have an IT department to call on to help me figure this all out. So I was really turned off by HRD. So on one hand, it's super feature rich but it's it there's just a lot of noise in it which attracted me to the log for om because it was a simpler ui mm-hmm. uh it seemed more approachable i quite liked it um frankly the more i played with hrd then i started to find out more and more features that i liked so that kind of drew me back to that um 
I got a, a recommendation for you. So, um, well, we have to ask the question, what's the operating system? Um, so if we assume Windows and you're looking for something as a casual operator to do logging and you want to run a native software application, I don't know if we have online logging on our agenda, but it's maybe something we could touch on at the end. But let's assume you want to run something on your computer. There's one called N3FJP, November 3, Foxtrot, Juliet, Papa. That um, it's it's very full featured in that uh, like it does uh, logbook of the world EQSL um, awards tracking. I think it has a, a DX. Uh, what are those things called? DX cluster. Cluster, yeah. cluster access. Um, but it's it's a very general logging application, and it doesn't look very complicated. Um, if you Google that N three FJP and go to that first result. Um, and take a look at the screenshot there. I mean, it's it's the fields you would care about as a casual operator. You know, when did you start the contact? When did you finish? Band, mode, frequency, um, general things like that. QTH, some notes. Um, yeah, this is so, the one we this is the one we use for our field day here at K four India India, and it is the field day. No, uh, the field day side is very easy to use. Really yeah, nice I was program. just going to say we, we in our club we used uh, FJP for like ten years and it worked great. So we were, I, I that was and you're right. The UI is is simple. It's just what you need, no more, no less. Uh, we networked them together. It worked great. Fantastic, fantastic. Okay, so now we uh, did some. By the way, we did something different on field day, which we should come back and talk about in a bit. Okay, okay. Uh, difficult. Uh, I think anything above paper and pencil will be difficult for some, probably like me, because my IT department consists of George, and Gerald, and Jeremy, and uh, two of us. Only two of us live in the same. Uh, no, there's three of us in the same time time zone. But anyway, that's my IT department. So if they don't know how to use it, I can't use it. Uh, of course, I could always bother Nick, uh, but uh, I'd have to get him separated from the Power Rangers. Um, and hey, I got a, I got a question uh, for Nick since we're talking about favorite logging programs. Um, you mentioned different platforms. Do you have a um, recommendation for Mac and Linux? Um, so I'm, I'm a bit biased on the Mac side in that I wrote one. Um, that was a softball. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's uh, there's one in the Mac App Store called Hamlog that I'm the author of. Um, it's a general purpose logging application. Basically, gives you a big table of contacts. And you add new contacts. There's several options though out there for Mac logging. Um, three that come to mind outside of Hamlog, and really, I think the only three that I know of are um, Rumlog, which is that's R U M log from D L two R U M. Um, that's a nice logging application. There's MacLogger DX, which would probably be the HRD of Mac. Um, if MacLogger DX is listening, sorry for that comparison. Um, or you're welcome for the comparison. Either Do you way. mean it's, it's complicated uh, and hard to use? No, I mean it's full featured. The uh, the third one would be Ether, which is spelled with an A E at the beginning. Um, it's a very nice looking application as well. Um, so Rumlog, Ether, and uh, MacLogger DX. MacLogger DX has an iOS component to it as well, meaning a iPad, iPhone sort of thing. Um, and then there's there's my stuff. What about Linux? 
Because I know that we've got some Linux in the Hamshack guys here. So uh, what can we tell them? That's a good question. Um, I'm I can't answer it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm a heavy heavy Linux user, a daily Linux user, but I don't use it for amateur radio right. stuff. We should have had Gerald here. Gerald could have told us, guys. We will check with Gerald and find out what we can uh, regarding uh, Linux for ham logging because Gerald's our Linux guy. All right, let's keep rolling on here as we're talking about logging. Um, you, you know, rig control, rotor control. Boy, that sounds great. Uh, I've got a Kenwood TS850. It's a fairly old model. I mean, it's 15, 20 years old. It's got a connector in the rear that I can connect to a computer here in the shack, which I still haven't done. But it seems like that would be really cool. And I'm and, and there are probably a lot of people saying, Kel, are you being serious? I'm dead serious. I don't have any cat control. I don't do uh, dicks, clusters. I've talked about that before. Uh, but, George, I know that you, you, you said you're in the process of building at your new shack. Um, I, I know that the piglet can, can work in some facets like this, Nick. So uh, do I want to try to find a program for logging that will incorporate some of these add-ons to help make my life easier? Well, I don't see why not. A rig control is is become pretty standard in in most logging applications. If for no other reason, when you're tuning around and you work a station, you can hit a button and the logging program will grab the date, the time, the frequency, and the mode, and populate those fields automatically. So why not? You know, for a, for a cable, you get that feature. It seems well worth it to me. Um, whether or not you want to do much more exotic stuff like add rotor control or uh, satellite antenna control, you know, just depends on how how fancy a station you want. But certainly for the basics, I, I you know, there's no reason not to do that. Nick, what about uh, like station remote control? Well, let me touch on a, a different sure. or, along what we were just talking about first. Um, with if you're getting into contesting. A lot of the the heavy duty contesters that are out there will run a contest with just the keyboard. And if you take a software like N1MM, which is probably you know the number one contest uh, logging software out there, um, the functionality that's built in there to automate the contest exchange is kind of ridiculous. I mean, you press F1 and all of a sudden you've made a contact. Um, <laughs> It's uh, it's really interesting how those guys do it. And if you ever get a chance to watch one, you know, a real contester running full speed with uh, the software set up to where they know what they're doing, it's really an interesting thing to see. Um, I mean, even voice exchanges they're doing with you know pressing buttons on their keyboard uh, it, with just recorded um, audio. So it's really interesting to see. And uh, if you want to get into logging electronic logging with um, for contesting. And you'll definitely want to look at um, what features are available to automate the contest exchange. Yeah, and Bruce told us we needed a voice gear or you'd lose your voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, I could see that happening to me, sometimes even at home, without even being in a contest. So uh, I can imagine how great it would be to have rig control especially rig control with logging and uh, burning high-speed internet connection to keep up with the DX cluster all on the same screen. Now, George, is that what you're going for in your shack, something like that? 
Yeah, I'm uh, I'm figuring out how to have a couple of displays since these days the the LCD displays are inexpensive and you can get a um, a computer to run multiple displays. Some of the nicer stations will have maybe one one screen doing uh, rig control and logging and another screen doing digital modes and stuff like that. So that's what I'm shooting for is how do I do multiple screens hooked up to a single machine, have that computer hooked up to the radio, and um, have it all kind of integrated together. Fantastic. Another thing that a lot of these software things will do, since we're talking about clusters, is if there's integrated cluster support, as these spots are coming in, which is what they're called when they come into the cluster, called DX spots, mm-hmm. as the spots come in, you can click on them, and it'll tune the radio to the frequency of the spot, so you can immediately be right there. And because you clicked on it, and they know the call sign of the station that's being spotted, they can populate the call sign as well. So you actually don't have to do any work other than hit the transmit button and make the contact. All right, so uh, I'm going to stop right there for just a second. And and just curiosity, if you are a contester and you're a serious DXer, please don't take this the wrong way. But is that kind of like cheating or what? <laughs> well, I think there's sort of uh, two schools of thought developing in the contesting world. And I'm not a contester, so you know this is just my observation. There's, there's some folks who want to push the technology to the edge and um, leverage technology to, to uh, make contacts and, and do – highly automated things doing like the CW skimmer where you're you're looking at multiple stations at the same time and even automating responses and all that. And, you know, there, part of me says, well, that's pretty awesome to be able to figure out a way to make all that work. Part of me also says, well, like that's sort of cheating. And, you know, you, you should compete with somebody who's got like a telegraph key <laughs> and ears. And you really, it, I mean, it's it's sort of splitting the the contest skill into two different buckets. There's like basic human contest radio operating skill, which is a different thing from um, automation and complexity. And they're both fine in my book, but they're different. Um, and I think a guy with a straight key and a pair of headphones um, can't compete with an automated thing, but nor should we think about it as trying to compete with it. Um, I think they're sort of different and, and they both have merit. They're just kind of a different approach. Um, so I, to me, I, I think, a, you know, controversy over, um, is, is too much automation kind of cutting corners. Maybe it is if you're com- competing against a purely manual operation, but if you're competing against other automated stations, then like, go for it, push the, push the envelope and experiment and see what you could do. I think it's pretty exciting. It is very interesting. Very interesting. Now we, we talked about doing some general logging, HRD log 4OM. That was really pretty by the way, guys. Uh, contesting is uh, the N1 Mary Mary, as well as the one that I just cannot remember. I said we even use it at our, which was the other one? It just totally left me. Uh, the one that I said we use for field day logging. N3, uh, N3FJP? Yeah, there you go. N3FJP. Uh, I want to talk because uh, because I, I really like what Nick has done with with his ham log and, and Nick, I want you to take a couple of minutes and, and we've talked about this before when we had you on Jeremy, but I want you to come back in here and tell us uh, why Hamlog works so well for portable operations. Because I know there's a lot of guys that do soda, iota, uh, just backpacking, camping, 
tell us a little bit about uh, how Hamlog would help us as a new ham getting into uh, logging. Well, it's uh, it runs on uh, smartphones. So uh, when I first got an iPhone, this was an iPhone 3G, the original one, uh, I was at the time doing a lot of that um, weekend QRP stuff. And I wanted to combine, you know, hobbies of uh, backpacking and amateur radio. I'm probably going to be carrying my phone with me anyway, so let's try and make some logging software and see if it can work. So um, it sort of grew, and it's actually been out there for since 2009. So it's coming up on about seven years. Is that right? Yeah, yeah seven years um, of being out there and available. And it's it's in constant development. So um, as new things are thought up by the various users out there and they uh, they send an email my way, I get it added in there. So it's uh, I like to say that it's uh, pretty full-featured. It's got a lot of stuff built into it uh, that hams find useful. And uh, it's just a, it's a pretty quick logging system. I touched on... Um, being able to log quickly um, a little bit ago, and that's one of the the core features or functions that I had when I started writing it was the I just wanted to type in a call sign and hit save, and all the other stuff could be assumed most of the time, um, and and that's where it is today. And uh, I don't know. What do you think about it, George? Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> So, so, so Nick is going to undersell his his own thing. So I'm going to I'll put a serious plug in here. When when I was um, looking for a logging program for portable, same thing for QRP. Go to the trail, take your radio with you. What kind of radio would that be, by the way, Kale? It would be the famous Kale doesn't have Elecraft KX3. Yes, that's exactly correct. So when you're on the trail, you want something small and portable, and so I used Hamlog, and it it worked really great. Um, so I was very sold on it. In fact, um, we used to do N3FJP with laptops at our club field day. And uh, a couple of years ago, uh, I was thinking, you know, it'd be cool if we could do this on tablets. And the reason was taking your laptop to the field day site wasn't just taking your laptop, but you had to figure out how to power the thing for a day. Uh, so you're going to run out of juice. Uh, so maybe you have multiple spare batteries or you need a 12 volt power adapter and even if you have a 12 volt power adapter you're pulling a couple of amps off of your battery and it just seemed pretty energy inefficient so the idea of using a tablet or even a phone seemed very appealing uh, for field day so um, so I, I contacted the developer of Hamlog uh, who happened to live in the Bay Area uh, Nick and <laughs> And I said, hey, you know, you've, you've got this program. Why don't you put a field day uh, mode in there? So he, uh, he did. So he, he put in a field day mode. Which, like I said before, for a contest, you need specific things in the exchange. So you had to add a field for the class of operation and a field, um, you know, for the number of transmitters and all that. So he did that. And so now we can log on the tablets uh, to do field day, which, which was great. And that, that was a big hit. Um, the next step, Nick, you kind of know where I'm going with this, uh, my favorite technology product that's never been a product. So, so I said, well, now this is awesome because we've got, you know, four or five tablets and, you know, everybody can log to the tablet, but we need to tie them together somehow. So there needs to be a way to have a server 
Um, and I believe you didn't you write it so one of the tablets could be the server. There's a Mac application that's the server. I never so, put it into the the tablet. I could, but I never did. Okay, so the server. So you need a Mac laptop, one Mac laptop to be the server. So that was okay. And and so uh, Nick and I were working on some projects with some BeagleBone uh, boards. And a BeagleBone is a credit card size single board computer. Uh, they're about uh, sixty bucks, fifty bucks, running Linux. And uh, we were talking about it, and we thought, you know, why don't we put the field day server on that? So we took this little uh, single board computer and uh, plugged it Ethernet into a little access point. And so we have a little Wi-Fi AP at the field day site. This whole thing sits in a little ammo can and runs off a big 5-volt battery. So the server is this little credit card-sized computer all of the lap, uh, all of the tablets and phones, uh, Wi-Fi connect to the Wi-Fi access point, and so every time you log something on Hamlog on your tablet, it gets replicated on the server. And it's important because not only does that data accumulate all on the server, if you uh, in a con- if you're in a contest, you need to do duplication checking, dupe checking, and dupe checking is simply did I work this guy already? So you work a station, an hour later, a new operator sits down. They hear the same call sign. They don't know. They work the station, and you want the computer to tell you if you've worked it or not. So Hamlog will do the dupe check and log all of the, um, the data to the central server. And, when the con- and also, by the way, mirror that data, I think, back on all the tablets as well. Yep. And, and so when the contest is over, you just hit another button on Hamlog, and it emails the entire logbook to your email account, and here it is in a text file, and you can throw it into Excel or process it however you like. Um, that was awesome, and uh, that's something that that you've never turned into a product. But that's uh, that's a really cool thing. Yeah, I've been kind of lazy about that one. <laughs> it's like two years old, and uh, we're the only ones that have ever used it. And now people are going to hear the program and they're going to be like, "Okay, Nick, we're ready for that." Yeah, <laughs> you have you have till next uh, June or whatever to get it done. Yeah, every year George emails me a list of of four or five things that he wants to see changed in the field day tool, as I call it, in Hamlog. And one of these years, I'm going to do do it, but uh, I look forward to his email again next year. Oh yeah, I already got my list. Oh, oh so one other thing I want to mention about Hamlog while we're talking about it um if you whether or not you need a logging or not actually um hamlog is like the swiss army knife of ham radio micro apps so when you go into hamlog how many things are built into it now nick there must be like dozens in the ios version i think i'm up to um it's more than 50 now so so for example uh you want to know your grid square um you, you just pull it up, hit the grid square thing, and it shows you your maidenhead uh, grid location based on the GPS data. Or you can do time conversion, or QRZ, uh, or other call book lookups, or frequency charts, or, you know, on and on. So I think every 
couple days, it's like there's another idea for some other feature to stick in there. It's really pretty cool. It's it's a it's a bargain at ninety nine cents. I'll tell you. Yeah, I was getting ready to ask. Is this because uh, I'm the twenty sixth person? You know, one out of twenty five people has an Android phone, and I'm number twenty six with my Droid phone. Uh, I, I did find it in the Play Store, and uh, it's kind of funny. One of the YouTube guys, Survival Tech Nord, who is uh, one of my Google Plus friends, uh, he does a lot of reviews and whatnot on YouTube, and uh, an outstanding app. He's got no complaints about the app. If you're operating portable, this app is one you need for logging. So I'm not a portable operator, but, uh, Nick, this I could still use this app on my Android phone for my logging, could I not? Oh, yeah, it's... Uh also available for android i don't have as many tools built in the android version um but yeah it's uh, it's it does a lot of the same stuff that same cloud synchronization as well as um rig control using some hardware that i made it also has the the ring the phone tool which uh a lot of people really enjoy have you seen that in there no no Was I- that to get me out of a meeting no there's a uh if you go to tools and press ring the phone, it pops up a little confirmation dialog that says, need to get out of a QSO, turn up the volume and click ring below to ring the phone. <laughs> and that is, uh, that's a get out of the meeting button. That's that, a great feature. That's worth 99 cents by That itself. works great on two meters. Yeah. yeah Got to go, guys. Got to go. That, one, <laughs> that works great on two meters. I'm going to install that today. <laughs> So what you what I've what I've learned here in the night in the last three or four minutes if I if I get into using the Android app and it, you can you can find it in the Google Play Store uh, get into using the uh, the Hamlog Android app and I see some things that I want or need I just need to let uh, George put it on his list. Yeah, just send me an email and and, and uh, Nick will do it. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I wouldn't send it to George. There's a filter. <laughs> George. Uh, George is, me. Yeah, George's emails show up. Uh, you let those through come in in, uh, in May and June. So, uh, wow. They go to the bureau before they come to me. <laughs> <laughs> and sit, and sit. Wow, we have covered a lot of information here through this episode of the podcast. And genuinely appreciate you both giving me your time. I know the listeners have enjoyed having you on. Uh, George, before we go, uh, I've said that you are from Sierra Radio Systems. We don't talk a lot about that, but before we run, real quickly, anything happening new with Sierra? Anything exciting you want to share with the listeners while we got you on the phone? Well, uh, mostly what we focus on is repeater control systems, and um, th- there's there's always something new that we're we're baking on the repeater controllers. Uh, the biggest thing we've been doing over the last uh, year or two is adding embedded Linux. So this BeagleBone thing we talked about, one of the projects we have is to integrate a BeagleBone um, CPU board into the repeater controller as an option uh, to let people add their own applications and do a built-in web server and some other cool stuff. So we're trying to take advantage of this really amazing set of fairly inexpensive uh, embedded computing hardware that's out there. So that's kind of the main thing. Um, besides that, um, Nick and I have had this collaboration on the Pactena project. So that's been a, just a hoot. Uh, that's re- just that's really been a lot of fun. That's been a great product. I wish you could have received the phone calls I did on the second day of field day morning, getting me out of bed, telling me how awesome the antenna worked overnight. I, the, the guys were just, I took it up there and they're like, huh, yawning. I hear crickets. And then by 6 o'clock the next morning, they were ringing my phone off the hook telling me how great it was working. 
and uh, they just couldn't believe it. So con- congratulations to both of you since I've got you both on the phone for a tremendous product. And I know there's a lot of happy people out there with them. Um, Nick, is there anything happening new with Pignology? I got a new piglet. I redesigned it. It does the same thing and operates the same way, but uh new module right. built in there with a little bit more functionality. Why don't you describe what that does? Oh, the piglet? It's a wireless interface for rig control from smartphones and tablets, um, specifically built into Hamlog. That was the original, but uh, I opened it up for third-party developers as well. So um, there's some software from other developers in various Play stores and app stores that allows you to control your radio wirelessly through the Piglet. Um, those third-party, I mentioned um, Rumlog earlier. That gentleman, DL2RUM, he wrote um, Rumlog for iOS, and he built that same Piglet functionality into it. So as you're logging in Rumlog, you can pull in frequency and mode for your contact. Hamlog, um, in addition to doing frequency and mode, it also allows you to control the radio. Um, and for certain radios, it gives you the full face of the radio, like a KX3 or a K3 from Elecraft. I replicate the entire uh, user interface of that radio, those radios, on, <clears throat> onto uh, iPad. Wow. Wow. That might be how I can get one. get one. Yeah. Yes. A fake KX3. <laughs> a fake X3. Yeah. Yeah, for the faux time podcast. Yeah, and uh, you know, I actually had a conversation. I wish I could remember the gentleman's call sign. He was from California uh, by way of North Carolina to Shelby Hamfest a few weeks ago. The K, the uh, Elecraft rep, really nice guy, and uh, was was just a, a gorgeous. Was a, I don't know. Was, they had the KX three, the K three S, the pan adapters, and all that great stuff. It was just beautiful. And uh, I did I did a periscope from there, which doesn't exist anymore, but it was really cool. And, uh, wow, they have some really, really nice stuff. Love the innovation coming off the left coast, and I love having you guys on the program with me. It's been George, Kilo Kilo Juliet 6, Victory United, and Nick in 3WG. Thank you both so much, again, for being a part of the Photon Podcast and sharing with us about QSL and Login. I hope to, of course, have you back soon as we continue uh, continue to go down the road of learning here on the podcast. Well, thanks so much, Kale. Really appreciate you having us on. Yeah, thank you very much. It's been a lot of fun. Fantastic. We'll do it again, guys. As always, a very, very big humble thanks to you for listening to the program, for participating with us, for supporting the show, for being our friend on social media and sharing our stuff with all of your friends on social media. Yeah, the share buttons are at the bottom of today's page. So once you go through all the show notes, you get to the bottom, click the share, click the iTunes button over there on the right, Don't forget there's a voicemail button over there. So, uh, yeah, we've got a lot of stuff going on, many different ways for you to connect with us, just like the new Echolink bridge that the Baynet folks are allowing us to use. So make sure you go through the show notes of this program and uh, dig through that and see if there's anything else you need. Remember, there's a comment button. If you don't do Facebook, Google+, you're not into leaving voicemails or any Twittering or anything like that, click the voicemail button on the right-hand side. Leave us a message. We'd love to hear from you and get connected with you. We so appreciate you being here with us. And on behalf of George and Nick, thank you very much for listening to us. And we hope that you've gained something from this. And if we missed something, 
We would love to hear from you. Let us know what we forgot to chat about, and maybe we'll bring it up in another program. October is going to be a crazy month for me personally. I'll be traveling all over the place. Nothing to do with ham radio, by the way. But uh, October the 17th, guys, you got to remember, if you're anywhere near Paris, Texas, it's the big MTC Radio Day, and you want to check it out. So uh, go to the website, mtcradio.com, or, of course, there's always a link on our site at photonpodcast.com. I may have a T-shirt available in the next couple of days, so stay tuned. I'm working to get those things ironed out. This is a really nice-looking shirt for the Photon Show. Until next time, y'all, we appreciate you listening. God bless you, 73. Thanks for downloading, listening, and subscribing to AmateurRadio15.com presents Photime, the other ham radio podcast. You can find our past episodes, web links, and more at AmateurRadio15.com. That's AmateurRadio15.com. Follow us on Twitter at Photime Podcast. And remember to visit our show sponsor, Main Trading Company, at MTCRadio.com. Till next time, 73s.